0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sin boldly. Those are two of Martin Luther's most quoted and most controversial words that he ever spoke. Not surprisingly, sin boldly. Well, that sounds like it's a license for licentiousness. It's an excuse to live in disobedience, to run contrary to God's will. What should we say? Oh, let sin abound that grace may abound even more. Let's just do whatever we please because we know that God will forgive us. Is that what Luther is saying here? Sin boldly? Those sound like dangerous words. And they are dangerous words. But they're also often the most misunderstood words of Luther. And today, uh, we're able to address that misunderstanding through this morning's Gospel. Now, in today's Gospel, we get kind of a a sneak peek of the Christmas Gospel, and we focus on that often overlooked character of Joseph. If you imagine the Christmas story like a movie, the nativity story, right? You've got our Lord, who is himself the lead character, and then Mary, who plays best supporting actress. But then you've got Joseph, who's almost like an extra, just kind of milling around in the background, like, hey guys, hey, do I get any lines or what? But today, Joseph takes center stage. He has an important role to play in this whole drama. And through him, we're not not only able to understand these strange words of Martin Luther, we're able to to see how this liberating good news of Jesus sheds light on a place that is often dark in our own lives. So let's look again at Joseph. And I want to discourage you from running ahead to the end of the story. We already know how it works out. We know that there's a happy ending for Joseph and for the rest of the family. But try to stay with it for just a minute. Put yourself in Joseph's sandals, so to speak. As he's in this place, he is between a rock and a hard place. He is like Luke Skywalker in the trash compactor. I had to give you a token Star Wars reference just because of the, the weekend, right? He is between this rock and this hard place. So the gist of it is like this. Joseph is betrothed to Mary, which means they're not married yet. But in that culture, at that time, they are as good as married. It was a legally binding covenant that they had already entered into. But lo and behold, Joseph finds that his betrothed Mary has a bun in the oven. And not to put too fine a point on it, he hasn't been doing any baking, okay? They have not yet come together as married. And so Joseph, to his mind, is thinking, well, there's only one explanation for this, right? Mary has broken the sixth commandment. She's committed adultery. And so now he has basically two options, neither of which in this moment are especially good. The first option is that he can keep her as his wife or future wife. Knowing that, or at least thinking that he knows, that she has been an adulteress. But to do so is to live in violation of God's law. And also it's to leave him open to, to the shame of the community. Everybody else is going to look down on Joseph. Joseph, you kept Mary as your wife? How could you do that? That's one option. The other option is that he can send Mary away, that he can divorce her now, letting everybody know, hey, look, she broke the Sixth Commandment, she's committed adultery, it's the most flagrant grounds for divorce. But Joseph also knows that when he does that, that the the punishment for divorce, the punishment for adultery, which which is to say, was that she would be stoned, that Mary... Would be killed. And to complicate matters even further, actually, Joseph stands to gain financially from that choice. That if he divorces Mary on grounds of adultery, he's going to be able to recoup his bride price and get her dowry as well. So now Joseph has to wrestle with this incredibly difficult decision. What is he going to do? Does he keep Mary, live in violation of God's law and in shame in the community? Or does he send her away and leave Mary? This woman, whom even if they aren't officially married yet, you have to think that he has some strong feelings for her at this point. Just send her away and see her be killed. What does he do? What would you do? Stuck in that difficult, difficult place. Well, what Joseph ultimately decides to do is to do the wrong thing for the right reason. He thinks, okay, here's what I'll do. I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to send her away, but I'll try to do it quietly. You know, Maybe send her away to some other town so that she doesn't face the death penalty right away. It's going to be a shameful thing, a difficult thing for everybody, but it's just what has to happen. And notice this, that even with this decision, which I think, given all of the circumstances, is a pretty good decision in Joseph's spot, right? But even there, he's not without sin in this matter. He's going against what ought to be done. He's, he's recognizing this is the, the just and righteous punishment for Mary's disobedience, or what he thinks is Mary's sin, And yet still he's going to try to find a way around it. That in this situation, there is nothing that Joseph can do by his lights that he is not going to be sinning. This is the important point I want you to recognize right here. His choice, his decision, is not between a good choice and a bad choice. It's not between the sinful one and the righteous one. It's between two bad options, which both seem to be sinful. Now, again, we know the rest of the story. The angel comes, appears to him in a dream, bails him out, okay? It has a happy ending. It all works out. But stay with Joseph there for a minute and think about him in that place, in that difficult circumstance, caught between two apparently sinful choices. What is he going to do? He's going to gamble on God's grace, He's going to bet it all on the mercy of the Lord. That he is left with two difficult choices. And in effect, he's going to say, God, I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to hand this over to you and trust that your grace is greater. Now pause there. I started out by saying this controversial and misunderstood quotation of Martin Luther, sin boldly. I want to say that, in effect, what that quote is about is about gambling on God's grace. Let me tell you what I mean. The context of that is actually in a letter. It's a letter that Martin Luther was writing to his his good buddy, his confrere, Philip Melanchthon, his uh, partner in crime, so to speak, in the Reformation. And at this time, Luther was himself Um, stuck up in the Wartburg Castle. He was being uh, uh, squirreled away so that he wouldn't get taken and given himself the death penalty. Meanwhile, Melanchthon and the other leaders of the Reformation are left trying to clean up the mess, trying to lead this nascent movement without their preeminent leader, Martin Luther, there to walk them through step by step. And Melanchthon writes to Luther, he's anxious about all of the decisions that he has to make. He's recognizing that the gospel, as they've rediscovered and recovered the good news of Jesus, that it changes things. It changes the way that they had practiced the life of the church. It changes the way that they had viewed God and the way that they should live as his people. And now Melanchthon is recognizing, look, how, how, do, I, how do I navigate this, Martin? How do I decide what we should keep from our Roman Catholic inheritance and what we should get rid of? What if I sin along the way? What if I make the wrong decision? What if God judges me? You ever been in that place? Where you think, Lord, I've got this choice in front of me, and I'm not sure what to do. And it doesn't seem like there's a good decision here. What do I do if I choose wrong? Lord, I'm trying to discern what my future is, what the vocation is that you called me into What if I choose the wrong one? Am I going to fall outside of your will? Are you going to to judge me? Father, I'm trying to to discern and understand what we should do with this aging parent. How can we care for them lovingly, but also give them the, the care that they need? Maybe you've been in those places before where you're making those tough decisions and it doesn't seem like there's a right one or a good one. Philip is there and he's writing to Luther and wondering, what do I do here? What's the non-sinful decision in this place, Martin? Can you just make it black and white? And Luther writes back to his friend with this pastoral counsel. It's in the context of this letter that he writes those infamous words. But I want to give you the larger paragraph here. Luther writes to Philip. He says this, If you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true sin, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly. But trust in Christ more boldly still and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. Be a sinner and sin boldly. Whoa, hold the phone, sin boldly. But also, trust in Christ more boldly still. Understand what Luther's counsel is here to Philip. Philip, no matter what you do, you're going to sin. Why is that? Because you're a real sinner. Guess what? Check your pulse. Yep, still alive, still a real sinner. See? And good news for you, Jesus doesn't save imaginary sinners. He only saves real sinners, like you folks, like me, like Martin and Philip. And therefore, Luther says, cling to Christ even more boldly still, because his grace has got you, brother. To help us wrap our minds around this council, let me offer an analogy to you. From a world that is way outside my ken, but that hasn't stopped me before. Okay, The the world of engineering. Now, engineers often have to make life and death decisions. You're building a bridge. How much weight should that bridge be able to support? You're making a dam. How much concrete do we need to put here to make sure that it's going to be able to hold the water? Well, engineers over the years have developed a healthy sense of paranoia about these things. And so they build in what's called a safety factor. A safety factor. What is a safety factor? Well, safety factor comes in when they do their calculations and they have a pretty good idea of how much weight this bridge can hold for example they do their calculations and they can tell with pretty good accuracy this is what it can do but the safety factor comes in and they say okay let's take a ladder for example this ladder probably needs to hold 400 pounds okay that's a good calculation that's a good guesstimate So then they might add a safety factor of six so that this ladder can actually hold 2,400 pounds just in case eight extremely large men of really poor judgment try to get on the ladder at the same time. (laughs) Have you ever been in an elevator? You ever been in an elevator and you start looking around and kind of doing the tabulation in your head? Like, oh Lord... We're getting close here. This doesn't look good. Elevators have a safety factor of 11 people. You don't have to worry. Even when your kid gets in the elevator and starts jumping up and down. Okay? You don't have to worry. Now, when Luther says sin boldly, it's a kind of safety factor for the Christian life, see? What he's saying is, look, you know, Philip is, is, is on that ladder and, and Philip's thinking that this ladder of the Christian life, it can only hold 150 pounds. And gosh, if I make one wrong move, this thing might not work out. And Luther's saying, no, Philip, that ladder can hold 10,000 pounds and there's a safety net underneath. You don't need to freak out. This is what the Christian life is like. We find ourselves more often than not, not between good and bad decisions, right and wrong ones, even sinful and non-sinful ones, but in a shades of gray. And in the midst of all of that, we can think, oh, what if I mess up here? What if I screw up? Guess what? You're gonna screw up. This is our lives of faith. We fail and we fall and we have a Lord who's faithful in the midst of all of it and catches you Every single time, we're groping in the darkness, trying to find the right way. But every step of the way, the Lord is there with you. That no matter how many times you fail or fall, he's there to catch you. And that's ultimately what Christmas is all about, isn't it? That we have a Lord who came down on that heavenly ladder for you and me so that it might be able to bear infinite weight, all the weight of your sin and mine, that come what may, nothing can separate you from the love of your Savior. He is your safety factor, now and eternally. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.